well, we're almost at the end of 2020. I can't even believe it, but we're here. Today, I'm doing a Q&A episode and answering the questions that I asked y'all on social media, and I can't wait to just jump in. But before I do that, I want to say thank you for everyone who's left reviews on the podcast. We have definitely, definitely gotten more reviews um, as things have grown, and I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you. So some of our newest reviews come from Great Britain. And I want to say thank you. So the first one is from 32LMC over on Apple Podcast, and it says, brilliant. I found Emily through YouTube and have now become an avid listener to the podcast. It's become my go-to podcast for my daily lockdown walks. I love Emily's explanations and the topics she covers. I hope this finds you on a walk, 32LMC. I hope that those walks are getting you through another lockdown over there in Great Britain. And thank you. Thank you for leaving that on Apple Podcasts. And one more from Great Britain from Crystal Coast, which says, love this podcast. I love this podcast. Great and easy to listen to, full of information for people who maybe don't understand legal terms. Emily is amazing and love listening to her podcast and YouTube videos. Thank you both so much for leaving those reviews. The reviews on iTunes help the podcast in the audio form grow, just like leaving a like on the YouTube version of it. So you can write a review. You can just leave it some stars. It's always very appreciated. And now let's just, let's hit that intro and let's get into it. Hey there, this is Get Legit Law and Shit. And I'm Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer for online business. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years and I'm a former prosecutor. So yeah, I know some shit, and we're going to talk about the legal shit you need to know. But don't worry, this is not another boring business podcast. So let's get started. Okay, so we're going to get into it. One of the first questions I got was from Captain Lexington over on YouTube and asked me, what software do I use to screen share? And I thought this was a perfect time to shout out StreamYard who I love using for my YouTube videos. I record all of my videos in StreamYard. I use it to put the intro in when I go live, the outro that were made for me by the amazing Tech Valor over on YouTube. Check her channel out. And I use it to screen share all the documents so I can break down all the legal shit that you want to talk about while we follow along together when we do those types of videos. If you're interested in trying screen share, you can try it for free through my affiliate link at emilydbaker.com slash StreamYard, and that'll be in the show notes, and that will be on the YouTube video. Again, emilydbaker.com slash StreamYard. That is my affiliate link. I am an affiliate for StreamYard because it is what I use to make my videos, and I love it. I had to upgrade (laughs) to the bigger plan, and when I have had some stream issues, I've reached out to them. They have 24-7 chat. So even if I'm streaming and have an issue, I can chat with them and say, help, (laughs) help. And they've given me lots of great customer service and support, and I appreciate it. And they'll let you stream on multiple platforms at a time. It's what a lot of YouTubers use. So if you see me streaming on, you know, YouTube and Facebook, other people will use it for YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch. You can stream on multiple platforms and it's great. And using my link, makes sure that you've got your free trial and it supports what we do here too. 
So let's get into it. I had to break the questions down into categories because you guys had so many questions. If I don't get to your question, don't dismay. I'm going to answer some more in the live after party that will air on YouTube after this show. And if you're listening after the fact, you'll still be able to find that. I leave all my live videos up on my YouTube channel. So I broke them down into kind of legally stuff, personal stuff, like lawyerly stuff, <laughs> YouTube stuff, and some like fast questions that we'll get to down at the end. But I love the questions that you guys ask, and we're just going to go through and bang them out because I'm really excited to uh, get to know you guys through your questions a little bit better, share more about me, and answer really the questions that you have because there were so many great questions. So let's just hop in. I got a whole bunch of district attorney questions. So let's let's start there. If I pronounce anyone's username wrong, I apologize in advance for mispronunciation. I will do my best. So district attorney questions. Feather Spurch on IG said, if you are okay to discuss as an ADA and not to be picky, I'm just letting you guys know I was a deputy district attorney because that's what they're called in Los Angeles. In other places, they are assistant district attorneys. So ADAs, I was a DDA. TV always goes with ADA, but either way, just for clarification's sake, um, what case are you most proud of and why? What case has had the most impact on you as a litigator? Was it the same as the proudest? And I had similar questions to that. So I figured I would just kind of lump them together. EJ67 on Instagram also asked, what's your favorite case you ever worked on? Uh, Nerdy LEB on Instagram asked, what cases or types of cases that you prosecuted made you feel the most fulfilled? And so those all kind of, in my mind, go together with the kind of, what are you most proud of? And it's hard for me to pick one case because I was really proud of the cases I worked on, some of them that never even went to trial and we were able to find resolution on, um, and some that went through multiple trials because there were retrials. So I, it's really hard for me to say, what am I most proud of? Because I'm really proud of the work I did as a whole in all of my cases. There are definitely cases that had a lot of impact on me that stay with me. Those tend to be my cases that were fairly sad. Um, it's hard as a DA sometimes because even when you win and you've tried wonderful cases and done a great job, it still doesn't always make it right for the victims because yes, somebody can be you know punished criminally for what has happened, but it doesn't undo what has happened to them. I think one of the most interesting trials I've done was a proper trial of an assault. And a proper means a defendant representing themselves. And the reason I was most proud is because I felt like I was able to help my witnesses and the victim in that case understand what it meant to have the defendant standing there directly asking them questions. And also, there were moments that were very funny, and I did not lose my shit in front of the jury because that would have been unprofessional. But the defendant is standing in front of the victim going, well, why do you say it was me that was stabbing you? And he's like, because you stabbed me. And the defendant's like, well, how did you know it was me? And the victim's like, because I saw you when you were stabbing me. And it felt like something out of a movie. But 
I think being able to sit down and really talk to those witnesses about what it would mean to have the defendant standing in the well in front of where they were sitting on the stand, asking them questions face to face. And what a weird experience that is. Normally there's an attorney that's taking on that role, not a defendant in the first person. And the defendant kept trying to refer to himself in the third person and the witnesses and the victim were not having it. He's like, you said the defendant did this. And they're like, no, you. And they're like, well, why did you say the defendant did this? And they're like, no, you. And I was really, there were definitely moments of, of levity with the victim being so directive, like, no, you stabbed me. But I think that it was a respectfully done trial. And I was really proud of my my victim and my witnesses for being so strong because it's such an awkward situation. So yeah, it's like it's like when somebody confronts you and is like, why did you say this? And you're like, I totally didn't. And then somebody else is like, no, yeah, but you did. <laughs> awkward. But it went well. The type of cases that I enjoyed prosecuting the most, I really, really, really liked paper cases. Things that were fraud and embezzlement and had long tracks of paper. I enjoyed going through people's bank records and search warrant returns from Facebook. I am a nerd. I liked having binders with tabs and being organized and tracking stuff down and making connections that other people might miss. That was my favorite because it felt like you were really digging into finding more um, and even bringing things up in the investigation and talking to the detectives. And it felt like a part of the fact finding more than a, hey, these people said this, this thing happened. Here's some pictures. Let's go to trial. I really enjoyed that. I was asked by Luck Hammond 426 on Instagram how I decompressed after a stressful trial <laughs> early in my career, generally by jumping into another trial. One of the DAs I worked with would always talk about trial, like getting into cold water. And he's like, you know, getting into cold water sucks. Like you want to put a toe in and then you don't really want to jump in. And then once you jump in, there's that initial moment where you're like, oh my God, the water is so cold. And then once you're in the water for a while, you don't notice that it's cold. So he's like, with trial, you just kind of stay in the pool. Just don't get out. Just be in trial all the time. And it won't feel like you're jumping in the cold water anymore. But I was not very good at decompressing after trials at all. I just, I was not good. That is a skill that has come later in life that I wish I had learned earlier in life. I was not great about that. But if, if now, if I was doing the work now, I think I would definitely make more space for hobbies, for downtime, and just for mental breaks, because really your brain makes a lot of connections in the downtime. And I did not do that a lot. So I think this is how to pronounce this username. It is Brinana Nut Crunch on Instagram asked why no engineers on jury. And I mentioned that in at least one of my YouTube videos that I didn't always have good luck with engineers on a jury. And the thing is, I found that engineers tend to be very literal and analytical. So for a lot of my more human experience trials, engineers were not always who I felt could have that part. And it wasn't a hard and fast rule, but a lot of engineers are very analytical. So beyond a reasonable doubt for an engineer and beyond a reasonable doubt for a teacher are two very, very different standards I have found in my experience. For my paper cases, for my cases where it's like this and then this and then this, and it's a very clear and linear case dealing more with it is what it is, and either you think that is a crime or you don't, 
those cases, I never had a problem with engineers. But on my more human experience, where sometimes you get witnesses who recollect things, sometimes jumbled, sometimes out of order, just by the nature of being through a trauma or witnessing a traumatic event, I didn't always find the best luck for me with engineers. I also found older male engineers didn't really vibe with me. (laughs) Some of picking a jury was picking people who wouldn't be annoyed by my face, my voice, the fact that sometimes I laugh, that I'm not super formal as an attorney. If you guys haven't gathered that yet, that I'm not super stuffy as an attorney. And sometimes engineers are, are much more expecting a different vibe, if that makes sense. So I tried to pick jurors who I thought could give the case a very fair listen and also who I thought wouldn't be put off by me, especially as a younger female DA. I felt that that was very important. Um, I got asked, would I consider doing a Stories of the ADA series from Andy's mom, Sammy, over on IG? Yes, I will. We will, they get woven in all the time, but yes, I got asked a couple of questions about the new district attorney in LA, and I've talked about that live a little, and we'll talk about that live again. I am hoping that there is still room for some nuance in some of the new policies. You guys have heard me talk about the fact that I don't love blanket policies that take away discretion. I think some of the policies are going to be challenged in court, so we will see how it all shakes out. I have things I'm concerned about, but again, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, Stevie Lee V on Instagram asked, how old was I when I first became a district attorney? I think I was 26 or 27. I could have been 28. (laughs) I was in there somewhere. Cause yeah, I went, I was 24 when I started law school. So I would have been 27, 28 when I started as a district attorney. Alana Phillips asks, what was my favorite and least favorite thing about being a prosecutor? I think the Uh, political nature of the office comes with some quirks that one has to be very well prepared for. And that can be everything from the boss that's really advocating for you gets transferred and then you've got a different boss who maybe doesn't vibe with you to um, people leaving the office and you have this like one boss who's really fighting for you and and cheering you on and then they're gone and you're like, wait, (laughs) no. And that can happen with political changes, with management shifts. And so that is a, it's a dynamic work environment. Sometimes it felt like I became a survivor. It's like, don't, please don't vote me out of the courthouse. I want to stay here. I don't want to get transferred and have to drive two hours to work. Please, please. (laughs) So there was definitely a lot of um, dynamic stuff there. One of my favorite things was my colleagues. I had tremendous colleagues that were always a lot of fun to work with. The work itself is dynamic and every day is different. And the people you do that work with are incredible. And that leads into Pam Marshall's question from YouTube. What was the funniest story from your years of being a prosecutor? There are a few, but one of the ones I have not shared is is what we're going to talk about here. And this is not a cases story. This is a colleague story. I had... (laughs) Uh, And this... We'll see. We'll see if this person listens to my podcast because I'll get a text message. (laughs) But there was a day um, working... In Long Beach, a lot of my beloved stories come from working out of the Long Beach office. I was there for quite a long time, and there were just there is there's a lot of stories in the walls of that old courthouse before the new one uh, was built and opened. So in the old courthouse, one of my um, office mates came in in the morning and had 
like this blueberry prepackaged kind of like smoothie breakfast drink like you would grab at the grocery store. <laughs> and he went to shake it. And the lid wasn't on all the way. And it went everywhere. And when I say everywhere, it went everywhere. And it was all over his white shirt. It was just all over. The, and he he just looked up. He's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to court looking like I've murdered a Smurf. And I, I will tell you that I just fell out laughing. It's sometimes the little things that are so funny. I'm going to go to court looking like I murdered a fucking Smurf. Um, I think he went home and got a change of shirt. I think. I don't quite remember how that went down, but there was a change of shirt at some point in the day. But it's like when you just, when you don't even have time for breakfast and you've got like your your smoothie ready to go, just mess everywhere, which also reminds me, <laughs> we had a lot of inside jokes. Um, and there was a, a DA who I very much enjoy who, who introduced me to the Big Mac wrap, which I've talked about on YouTube. Need a double cheeseburger. Hold the lettuce. Don't be front and sun. No seeds on the bun. If you don't know the Big Mac wrap, look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. It's an OG YouTube video when people would like pull through the drive-thru and wrap the Big Mac wrap. The, the original one has millions and millions of views. It's from like 2006 or something. Anyway, we loved the Big Mac wrap. But he told a story from one of the early days in the courthouse in the misdemeanor courts when you're not always supposed to take the judge's elevator, the back elevator, but sometimes when you're trying to get to court, you've got to. <laughs> and he was talking about trying to balance his case files and his coffee and dropping the coffee. And it went like straight down and landed on the bottom. So like the bottom of the coffee hit the floor of the elevator. <laughs> he described it as a grenade of mocha that exploded all over the judge's elevator, like floor to ceiling, because it just hit and went like the top came off and the whole thing exploded. And there, every time somebody spilled something or, you know, dropped things on the escalator or the elevators, it always became a grenade of mocha. So <laughs> when my colleague looked like he had murdered a Smurf. I'm like, it's a grenade of blueberries. Um, but there are lots and lots. I could tell some TA stories forever. There are lots and lots. We we had fun at work. It's hard work, but the coworkers make it worth it. Staying in the context of lawyerly stuff, but moving on from the strictly DA stuff, I got a lot of questions about law school and law in general, so I'm going to try to tackle some of those now. Lindsay, I think it's Lindsay Hastings, asked, is 43 years old too old to enter law school for a career change? And that is a very good question because I also got asked by um Vertistrude, I think I got that right. I'm sorry, V Trostude on IG. Advice for a major career change um, from a federal attorney. <laughs> now would be a really stressful time to be a federal attorney. I also got asked by Lori Curry on Instagram, how can a current litigator transition into consulting work or change focus area? So there were definitely a few questions of this, like career of law. And I also got asked by Scott Gibson, is it ever too late to consider a career in law? And then I got asked by Tailored Beauty Edit on Instagram, do you think or how would you gauge whether an investment in law school is ultimately worth it? And those questions 
for me all kind of go together. So the is it too late to go to law school is really going to depend on what you want to get out of it. If you are looking at spending, you know, a substantial sum of money, well over $100,000 generally to go to law school and then work in law, you've got to consider whether that work will pay back the cost to law school. Of course, if going to law school financially is clearly a hell yes, I'm all in, or you are eligible for scholarships and the learning itself is what you want to do and you have a specific purpose that you need a law degree to fulfill, then no, it's never too late. Life is for learning. It's whether the money will pay back at the end. If the money's not an option, the learning is amazing. But if it's, well, once I go to law school, I've got all these loans and then I have to work like this to pay them back. Having a brand new career in law at 43 is going to be interesting. Having a new career in law later in life is interesting, but that's different depending on what you want to do. If you're transitioning into an area that you've already got a substantial amount of expertise in, and then you're going to have a law career alongside of something you have a lot of expertise in, go for it. If you are going to be starting out in a completely different field and brand new, I would look at how you would use that law degree and if it will pay it back. Because I think the profession is going through major changes now and COVID has done that to a lot of industries. I think it's been coming in law for a while and a lot of lawyers do not love their work and work has to shift into a more reasonable work. And it's it's not always reasonable depending on where and how you work. So for those asking about career change and transitioning into a new focus area, again, it's about learning and it's about payoff. In a new focus area or in a career transition, it's always going to be, again, what is making you unhappy with work? And that takes some deep dives. Is it the boss? Is it the actual work? Is it the colleagues? Is it the commute? Is it the location? Is it the bullshit? (laughs) Like, what is it? And when I left the DA's office, I thought I wanted to leave law. I was like, I can't do this. And it wasn't law that was the problem. It was partly me that was the problem. It was the way I was working. It was the Uh, lack of boundaries. And I talk about this in my TED talk about finding who I was and really standing in that. I was not able to do that in my work because I just wanted to prove myself so much and kept fighting for that. And I had to let that go. But that's not the right career path to let go of trying to prove yourself. The work was great. Um, but after my back surgeries, I just couldn't work the same way. And I wanted more control of my life. And I think that's where a lot of lawyers fall out of love with the profession of law is you feel like you don't have control over your life. So having control of your life might mean practicing in a different way. And that can be through consulting and it's just figuring out who you want to work for and if there's a market need for it. And hopefully that sums it up pretty well but it's a lot of think work and it's a lot of evaluating your retirement and how much your cost of living is, how much money you need to bring into your family to make it work, how much you need to save to be able to do that. Because starting a business, if you want to go solo, can take time to pay for sure. So that financial planning goes into it too. And then I got a series of questions about looking into law and what is it like? Um, Owen, 
Oshawan asked over on YouTube at, saying, I'm 15. I want to be a lawyer. Oh, and don't watch my late streams. They're too late. <laughs> want to be a lawyer. Your channel is everything and I live for it. That's very kind. Thank you. I was wondering what you think is the best path to go down and what was school like for you? I got another question from Arisha Fatima 14 on Instagram. My family thinks that law is very immoral. Um, sorry, is a very immoral field and don't want me to work in it. Any advice? And then um, Phoebe Burns, Phoebe R. Burns over on Instagram asked, what is the best advice for a wannabe lawyer? My boyfriend is studying law next year. So I think those all kind of go together for those that want to work in law. I think finding your path of what you like to study that would support a study in law. And that can be everything from English and writing, because law is so dependent on language, to things like philosophy and rhetoric and history and political science. I think one of the most valuable things in law is perspective. So don't just limit yourself to be like, oh, if I'm going to go to law school, I have to be a political science major. You don't. <laughs> because if you want to work in entertainment law or music, then you're probably going to want some classes in those areas to understand that field better. So I wouldn't limit yourself. I would make sure that you explore different interests so that you are a well-rounded student going through school. You have learned a lot of different things because law does require you to think on your feet and be scrappy. And sometimes you're going to learn that in classes on emotional intelligence. Sometimes you're going to learn that in sociology. So study lots of different things to find areas that you love and make sure that if you want to go to a particular law school, you have in mind what they're looking for. And oftentimes you can find that information online. And that goes uh, to Fatima as well, saying that their family maybe thinks law is immoral. Law as a profession is what the lawyers make of it. So I think proving to your family your own integrity and then arguing why law works for you and why you want to go into it. Because if you are strong in character, you will change the profession. The profession will not change you. And so knowing who you are and your own integrity is what's more important there because all fields of work have their moments of difficulty for sure. So prove to them how strong you are. And then when it comes to studying law, the best advice is to find a way to study with balance and find a way to bring balance into law. It's very easy to let law take over everything, especially in law school, take over all of your life. It's okay to do things outside of law school. And I wish that that's something I had learned better in law school was how to integrate having a life and having law and knowing when I wanted to dive into school and knowing when I needed a step back because we all need to take breaks. And in law school, I did not take very many breaks. I think I was running headlong into burnout from the time I was like 21 years old, maybe even sooner, because I just didn't know how to slow my roll. And some of it's FOMO, <laughs> like full ass FOMO and wanting to prove yourself. So really knowing who you are going into that allows you to not get pulled into that FOMO. It's like, no, I'm good. I'm done. I don't need to prove to you that I'm studying as much as you are. It's fine. I hope that was helpful. I got a series of questions that I'm calling the uh, do I miss it questions and I really enjoyed them. So let's let's get into do I miss it and then we're going to talk about YouTube stuff. The 
first one comes from Emily Butler 71 over on Instagram, I believe. Do you miss California and being in court? There are things about California I miss, but overall, no, I'm very happy in Tennessee. I miss my family and my friends for sure. Zoom is not the same. COVID is weird and makes travel a little more concerning, especially when it comes to getting to see my parents. And I do miss that. I do miss driving by the ocean, but I also love walking and hiking through the woods and seeing, you know, the rivers and streams everywhere. So there is still lots of dynamic water here in Tennessee, so it's okay to not be around the ocean. It'll be nice to go back and visit. Do I miss being in court? Um, no, I thought I would, but no, not really. I don't miss <laughs> the stress of it. I don't miss the hustle to get to court. I do not like being up early. I am a slow start in the morning. So needing to be into court early was never, ever something I excelled at. And it always stressed me the fuck out, like all the time. I hate it. I was always running late to court. I hated it. I was always trying to find a parking spot. I felt like I could never leave my house early enough. Like makeup wasn't done. Hair didn't look good. I, I know. I am a slow starter in the morning. So a profession that requires you to be rolling early was not a great fit for me. I don't miss being in court. There are times um, that that jury trial experience is missed, but I find a lot of that getting to connect on this podcast, on social media, with other content creators, on YouTube. So I'm finding a lot of that desire to connect and to really break things down. The way I break things down is similar to the way I broke things down in trial. It's just different things. It, now it's like, oh, and on this video, this was said. And in this article, they're saying this. And in this lawsuit, it says this versus you heard this witness tell you this. And then you saw these documents that showed you this. It's similar, but I get to curse way more. Um, I get to choose what I wear <laughs> and what time I start. For example, I'm recording this at after 10 o'clock at night because that's when I like to sit down and record. So I like having the control so I don't miss being in court. In court as the attorney, you don't always have the, never, I said always, you don't have the control because you're not the judge. Crystal K on Instagram asked what I missed most about being a DA and Trish uh, Lippy on YouTube asked if I would ever become a prosecutor again. And to both of those, there are things I miss about being a DA. Would I do it again? No. <laughs> I love doing what I'm doing now. The control of my own life is, is very intoxicating. And being a prosecutor is still a political position where even if you if your bosses don't change dramatically for LA, there were still over 30 courthouses that you could be sent to work at, and not all of them were close to where you live. <laughs> So I lived in the South Bay, but I could end up working, which I didn't thank God, in Antelope Valley or in Pomona. Those things are not close to the South Bay. So you could end up working all over the place and you don't really have control over that. You could end up with a judge who really doesn't like you and you don't have control over what your workday looks like when you're working with somebody who really just doesn't like you. But yes, I do miss my colleagues. I do miss that camaraderie. And there are times I miss just being in the know more about stuff because as a DA, you definitely know you're working with law enforcement regularly. You see the trends of what's going on and you know more about what's going on. But also now that I've moved, I kind of don't want to know all the things. I'm kind of just 
you get to just exist a little more normally without knowing everything that's going on. Like I don't need, I don't need to know every single detail of every single thing. And I think I'm probably better off for it. Uh, Kara over on YouTube asked, what do you plan on doing with your law degree now that you are no longer fighting for justice in the courts? Do you miss that kind of law or do you think you've just had enough? I think emotionally it would be kind of exhausting. Yes, it was emotionally exhausting. I did not do a great job at setting boundaries around that. I had not learned that skill very well, and I very much take things on. But with my law degree, I am consulting and and doing this content and breaking stuff down. Um, the knowledge of law is something that's always with me, and it's not ever something I can see leaving. But with my license, I don't really go to court. I do mostly consulting. And that is okay for me because I have control of my own life, <laughs> which I love. And a lot of that is being on YouTube. So let's get into all of the youtube type questions. Y'all know I love YouTube. <laughs> Betty A. Sanchez on Instagram asked, are your earnings on YouTube enough to sustain your lifestyle now? We are definitely getting into the arena of being a full-time content creator. I am surprised sometimes by how much people make on YouTube, myself sometimes included. I'm like, oh, that's exciting. But I really love creating content. And so I I just, I love it. So yes, I mean, we are, we are there. I still do consulting. I can't see myself not doing consulting not as much. I've definitely stepped it back, but doing consulting, especially when it comes to business formations and strategies is something I really love. And I love the people that, that come to me for that. But do I see myself going back into court and litigating things? Nope. I really enjoy YouTube, but again, I like having control of my own life. So it's never going to be just, just YouTube. It's always going to have other aspects to it because algorithms change. Earnings can change. Things can change. So I definitely want to make sure that I am thoughtful about how I do YouTube, but YouTube's fun. YouTube, YouTube pays, man. I'm just, YouTube pays. It's exciting. <laughs> I got a number of questions about what growth on YouTube is like, and I have an episode called Going Viral where I get into that, but I also want to touch on those questions here too. Um, Julie, it looks like Julie O'Hooli <laughs> on Instagram asked, has the increase in followers stressed you in any way? Anxiety, expectation, differences, responsibilities. Uh, Shanna Lee on YouTube asked, okay, here's the question. Can you sum up your experience over the past six weeks or so going from, I think you said it was 5K, it was to 70K? Yes, that's right. What has that felt like? How are you handling the new growth? We know it's been super exciting for you and I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Um, just maybe sum up the past six weeks would be great. XO. Um, Robin Granger on Instagram. Hey, Robin said, how has life changed since you blew up on YouTube? Is it so exciting, uh, but busy? Yes. Question mark. Um, Oliveri Zizu on Instagram asked, as you become more popular on YouTube, what have, what new have you learned about the platform? And then, uh, I think it's Nadia LB on YouTube asked, or said and then asked, Emily, I went back and peeked at your old videos, your old, old videos. Yes, there are old, old videos. <laughs> and I saw the one where you quit your job. You looked like you were in shock and also scared. Uh, and then she said, who wouldn't be? You've come a long way. How do you feel now that you're at this level of success? 
And Sarah Miles on YouTube asked, what has been the most interesting or surprising aspect of your channel growth? Um, So to start from the bottom and go backwards, I think the amount of quick channel growth has been the most uh, surprising and exciting. It has been very fast. It has been very fun. I have been off and on creating content on YouTube for years, even before I quit my job at the district attorney's office, because I love it. It was a great way to connect. And it was a great experiment and a hobby for me as I was going through a lot of processing and a lot of personal growth and health issues. So it really felt like something I could do just at home by myself, but still connect. And that's something I still love about the platform. And I think it's why it's grown so much in 2020, because there are still aspects of alone together on YouTube, even though we're all in our own homes across the world, we still get to come together. And I've loved that. And the amount of love and positivity in our community has been the most amazing and and fun part of this whole journey. How has my life changed? My life has not changed tremendously. I definitely do more YouTube things. <laughs> I've made new um, new content creator contacts and friends and acquaintances, and that's been very fun and exciting. But I also had content creator friends and acquaintances before. It's shifted space a little bit because I did much more tech type stuff because I couldn't talk about law while I was still a district attorney. I was I was a lawyer for the county, so we're not getting up on the YouTube talking legal things for sure that would not have gone that would not have gone okay but now that i can i really just i loved that it just dialed in so organically and then found an audience so organically cuz i really shifted focus back to youtube in september and then at the end of october everything kind of blew up and my channel was growing from that it hadn't grown a ton before because i was not posting regularly people would be like oh my god it's iphone time emily do you have a video and i'd be like yes happy fall i'll see you all in 6 months <laughs> so it's been a very very fun 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 experience and it's a platform that i love so it feels like oh it i love being here i love being with you guys and the platform has been sharing my videos and other content creators have been using them as a resource. I always wanted this podcast to be a resource and wanted my breakdowns of the law to be a resource. And they are for so many of you. And I love it. So yes, it's been fun. Has it been stressful? Um, Not tremendously other than like, I feel super backlogged on stuff I want to cover and I don't have enough time in the day. <laughs> but I, I find that exciting because when I get up, it's like, okay, we've, we're, we're reading about and learning about this today. And we're going to break it down. I can't wait. And I just, I just love that. I've, I've really enjoyed it, but I have a whole going viral episode about that. And I will link that too. I also got asked about, um, legal cases in 2020, what have I enjoyed covering from both Christina Marie Surgeon on IG and Bookishly Late both asked similar uh, questions about that. And I think the case that really kind of redirected my interest of like, I want to do legal commentary was Kanye West and his freaking contracts leaking all over Twitter and then him literally leaking on his Grammy. It was, it was that like pop culture meets like wildness meets all these really professional contracts. And it was such a moment of like, I want to read everybody's contracts. Cause I had, I had done legal commentary and did do do legal, 
That sounds so awful. I also do legal commentary on the podcast, but had done a lot of news, not really so much reading through documents and explaining them until Kanye leaked his documents. And it was so much fun to do. And that kind of pushed the direction into pull the documents, break them down. And it's been so much fun. And I, there are so many more cases to cover. I just absolutely love it. But with it also comes some negative feedback. And I got some questions about those too. I mean, negative feedback, haters, <laughs> criticism, all the, all the, all those types of things. So Nala9595 on YouTube asked, you've been in positions that are going to cause people to get angry and nasty towards you? Does it bother you? And how do you keep yourself from being petty towards them when they finally do piss you off? Stevie Lee V on Instagram asked, do you get a lot of hate from people on the internet? What is, and what is your favorite Starbucks drink besides the pumpkin cream cold brew? (laughs) We're going to get to, we're going to get to coffee questions in a second because I got a bunch of those. Um, it looks it a Portillo over on Instagram. It looks like something autocorrected there and I don't have the whole IG handle, but I hope, I hope you know, it's you. Do you have beef with any other YouTuber? Not counting KJ. (laughs) I don't have beef with KJ. (laughs) I think maybe she has beef with me, but I don't, I don't have beef with any YouTubers. I really, I don't, I'm, I'm an observer and a commentator of all the things. So I mean, are, are, do people say mean things on Twitter and sometimes on comments? Yes. Do I take it personally? No, most of it's not personal. Most of it's, um, most of it's really not personal. And so I try not to take it as such. I also worked in the criminal justice system where people definitely had opinions about the things I was doing. And that's because I was putting them in prison most of the time. So when things are personal like that, it it's different because it's like, you're doing this to me. And it's like, yes, I understand that it feels like I'm doing this to you because I am the person standing in court asking for the things, but it, it's a different thing in the internet. And so I really do just kind of take it with a grain of salt and move on. If people want to have conversations, I'm here to have conversations, but for the actual just hate comments, it's like, you know, it, it is what it is. I'm not for everyone. I'm not going to be for everyone. I curse like a sailor. I laugh. Uh, My voice is my voice. I'm not going to be for everyone. And I'm okay with that because I know who I am. I know my heart and my intentions. And I'm very grounded in that and very comfortable in that. And I know what my lane is. And I just, some of it, you just have to keep moving. So how do I keep myself from being petty? I sometimes am very petty in my head. (laughs) Years ago, back before I left the DA's office, back when Facebook only consisted of people who like knew me in real life. I made the decision to not fight with people on the internet. I was like, no, I'm not fighting with people on the internet. I will have conversations, but a conversation is not just like clapping back on Twitter for me. And my lane here in the content that I bring and in putting myself out on YouTube and this podcast and breaking down the law and shit is to have a conversation and facilitate conversations. And you can't always just do that if you're like petty and pissed off at people. So generally I just take a step back from it. And that's, and that's how we roll because Twitter is not for nuance. Nothing good generally comes from fighting with people on the internet. And we as a law nerds community know what we're about. So that's, that's really how, how I deal with it. But there was also that question about the pumpkin cream cold brew and 
not shockingly, maybe there were other questions about coffee too. Let me answer. Let me answer the coffee questions. <laughs> Tyler HMC on Instagram asked, what coffee do I use at home? And said, happy holidays. Vanessa C, I think it's Chatlin on Instagram said, how much coffee do you drink in a day? Uh, Chelsea Chestnut. No, that's not Chestnut. <laughs> Chen Nalt. You get to see how bad I am at trying to pronounce IG handles. Um, thank you, Chelsea, from Instagram. Said, how do you drink your coffee at home? And then the question about Starbucks. At home, I tend to make myself bulletproof coffee. Occasionally, I will make coffee with a fun holiday type creamer, like a pumpkin one or a like pepperminty mocha one. But generally, I just make bulletproof coffee. I believe I still have a channel on my YouTube about Bulletproof Coffee and how I make it. And I will do an updated Instagram story about it. I have an Instagram highlight, I think, about my Bulletproof Coffee, but I will do an updated one. So I make Bulletproof Coffee at home most mornings and I drink that 16 ounces and that is it. For some people that's like, wow, that's a lot. But I do not just drink coffee all day. I mean, if I do, it's the same coffee. (laughs) That's why it's in my, my mug. And then Starbucks, I really do gravitate towards the cold brews and nitro cold brews, uh, depending on the seasonality, if it's the uh, sea salt caramel one or the pumpkin spice one, pumpkin cream cold brew one. But I love their kind of creamy cold brew ones. And then I do enjoy a pink drink sometimes when they're when they're seasonal. I do. I'm basic. I like a pink drink. <laughs> I just I just do. I will say as we move on from coffee that you guys asked me some very heartfelt questions too. And we're going to jump into some of those. Holly Ann Mija on Instagram asked, what is the best thing you've learned in life so far? Braun Susie asked, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to face? And Stevie Levy on Instagram asked, what is the most difficult decision you've made in your life? Those are, those are deep and introspective questions. The best thing I've learned so far is I think probably I'm not for everyone and that's okay. Like as long as I'm true to myself and happy with who I am, then it's a little easier to move through life without giving so many fucks about what people think. Um, I spent a lot of time seeking external validation. And I talk about that in my TEDx talk about feeling like I was put in a box, but I really put myself in the box of other people's expectations and how I thought I had to show up and learning how to break that down and just figuring out who I truly was and how I wanted to be in the world. And then just living that way was really the most important to me. And breaking down that difference between how you make a living and how you live your life can be two different things. Like it doesn't have to be that work and life are the the only things that you do. You can choose how you want to live and then figure out how you want to make money. And that that opened the door. Like figuring out who I was is one thing, but then being like, I can just be who I am and then figure out how to make money, especially on the internet. There's so many things one can do. And, and that really did change everything. Um, Braun, Susie, and Stevie's questions both go to difficult decisions and hard things. I really think one of the hardest things, I mean, there are, there have been a lot of hard things, (laughs) my therapist and I, and my life coach and I, talk about the hard things. There have been a lot of hard things. There is unprogramming that I am still working on. But when it comes to difficult decisions, 
it really, that decision to change career was a very, very difficult decision and a very big decision. And it felt very big because it was also giving up a bit of my identity. And that is a huge thing to kind of step away from. And because I loved it so much. So it's, it's not like, fuck this shit. I'm out. It was like, I don't know if I can do this, but I still love this. And I feel like a loser. Cause I don't think I can still do this anymore. And what does that mean? And am I being selfish? Like giving up a secure job, giving up secure pension, giving up these things to really do something unknown. And am I going to hurt myself or my, my family in doing that? It was a very, very hard choice. And it felt very, very big. I have absolutely no regrets, but it was a very difficult decision. I have faced other hard things. I feel like I I learn slow, <laughs> so I keep facing hard things. But as I get older, I feel like I'm able to put one foot in front of the other a bit better than I did when I was young. I definitely have regrets for shit I pulled when I was younger, but as I get older, it's a little easier to just put one foot in front of the other. And in that one foot in front of the other realm, you guys asked me what I would do if I didn't do the law things. Um, Zazzy Tick, Zazzy Tink on Instagram said, you're an amazing teacher. Thank you, Zazzy. Do you think you'd ever get into teaching law at university? Do universities let people curse as much as I curse? Because if they do, I'm down. <laughs> but I also feel like my like my feelings about podcasting at the beginning was like, I'm good with OPP. Like, other people's podcasts. I don't know if I want to roll the show on my own, but I'll, I'll show up. I feel like guest appearances for now are the best. And I got to do that at University of Memphis and it was amazing and I loved it so much. So I will definitely come in and help do that kind of stuff. Do I want to be responsible for like grading papers and stuff? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I'd have to give up some of the, like, I just want to do what I want to do. <laughs> Um, Claire Cannon voice on YouTube asked if you didn't do law, what would you have done and said, thanks for getting me through the numerous UK lockdowns with your badass law commentary. Well, you're welcome, Claire. And I don't know what I would have done because in college, when I came back around to, I want to do law, it was like, I want to do law. And that was the singular focus before that, before I went to law school, I was literally working at sports chalet. <laughs> which was a athletic goods store as a cashier. I was a, I was a good cashier. I got bored, but I was a good cashier. And so they, when I got bored, they put me at the cash register that also had the massive phone line. So I was like ringing people and like routing calls, which kept me very active and busy. But I worked at Sports Chile. I worked at a Girl Scout camp as a horseback riding instructor. I lifeguarded. I've done like a lot of different things. I would probably have kept doing random shit <laughs> and been like, oh, we'll try this. Oh, we'll try that. I would have, I would have definitely kept doing random shit, I'm sure. But law kind of took me out of the random, random jobs and into the one job and now into this job. Joy Daily on Instagram and living one step at a time on Instagram both asked similar things. Uh Joy said, do you want to become a judge? Um, I feel you would be a good next RGB. And I will tell you that I wouldn't, but I will get to that in a second. And living one step at a time asked, would you ever run for district attorney or run for any seat in politics? Here's why I'm not the next, like I'm not going to be a judge. I enjoy breaking down the law. The way that appellate judges study the law maybe isn't my mission in life. 
also the amount of very intellectual writing they do would stress me out. And I do not have the credentials at this point to be an appellate judge. A lot of my uh, DA friends have run for judge, have been um, appointed to judgeships, and it's fantastic. Do I know if I could step out of the advocacy realm and into the judge realm? I don't know. I really love doing what I'm doing. So I just, I don't see myself jumping back in that way. And then when it comes to running for a seat in politics, I mean, it's never really been something I've wanted to do, but I I also don't want to ever say never, ever, because you never know. I might be like, I need to be on the school board. (laughs) If I was going to do that, would I do that on a local level? Yes, but I'm also in a new locality. So there's going to be a, there's going to be an integration period. So I would never say never. It's just not, it's not really on the top of mind and running for district attorney. I don't think I want to be the bossy boss of all of the DA people. Like that's a lot. That's also, I would have to get up early again. And I, I think they'd probably frown on me wearing yoga pants and Ugg boots most of the time. Like it's a lot. And, and God love the people who do that level of service because it is a, it is service. It is absolutely service. And I get to have so much fun here with you guys. And I wouldn't get to do that <laughs> if I ran for office. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I will never say never, but also that's not the thought at the moment. And at the moment, I really want to get into, um, some ADHD questions, some Tennessee questions, and then a speed round. (laughs) You guys are like, this is the longest podcast episode ever. Yes, maybe. I love how many of you asked me about ADHD stuff. So I'm going to try to summarize and condense some of these together um, as best as I can. So I was asked uh, by a number of you when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed in high school. So it came a little bit later in life. And well, I mean, (laughs) kids get diagnosed earlier now, but it was the nineties and I got diagnosed uh, in high school. And that really took me a while to figure out what it meant for me and how to, um, how to learn for me. And I really wish I had found my Erlen lenses. And a few of you asked me about my glasses. They will be linked below, not the frames, but the types of lenses I wear. Cause I got a number of questions about my glasses and what they are and why I have a darker tinted lens and they are Erlen lenses. It helps filter light that can change like neural processing in the brain. And so I found Helen Erlen and her, um, her Institute. She has a book, she has a website all about Erlen syndrome. And it was definitely something I wanted to explore. I had a number of friends in the biohacking community who had great luck with colored lenses. And I went through all of the testing with them and through that testing came to the color that works for me now. My kiddo has a different color lens. My husband has a different color lens. It's very, very, very individual. The frames that I wear, I actually need a new pair, but these are like four-year-old Tiffany frames <laughs> and I enjoy them because they are so lightweight. But the lenses themselves are a very specific type of lens meant to help Berlin syndrome. And that'll be linked below. If you or a loved one are um, dyslexic, it can work for that. It can work with PTSD. It can work with ADHD. And sometimes Erlen syndrome is misdiagnosed as those things. 
They have a very thorough self-test on their website and practitioners worldwide. So I can't say enough how much it made a difference for me. And it's always worth taking a look at because if there's one other thing that can help, why not? So I wish I had found that sooner and I'm glad that I found it now because it's absolutely made a big difference in my life and in my ability to focus and be on the computer and read and all of that. And with regard to that, I did get asked a number of questions. Um, a Pacino, I think I said that right, on Instagram, asked, how do you get through reading all the cases? What's your secret with staying engaged? Anastasia is geek for rebel. That's a fantastic <laughs> Instagram handle. Asked my best studying tips for college students with ADD, ADHD. And Alexandria Carpa on YouTube uh, uh, stated, I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia when I was seven years old. I've had a lifetime of trying to manage it and still am. What did you or do you do to keep on track? Um, study, stay focused, and manage the racing thoughts. Any one tip? Starsky on YouTube said, you seem so organized and together. No, no not always. <laughs> if you had any tips around organization skills, that would be appreciated. And so I can kind of join those together in the things that have helped me the most. I take notes for just about everything. And when I read, I take notes. And you guys have seen the way that my cases look when I pop them up on the screen. There are notes on them. Sometimes they're just comments like, really? Or the shade? Or what? <laughs> and that's part of me staying engaged with what I'm doing. So note taking and highlighting is one of the ways I stay engaged. With regard to racing thoughts, I generally keep a notebook with me to put down the spare thoughts that pop into my pop into my brain. I also do actively engage with meditation. I try to do it daily. It doesn't always work daily, but it helps. It helps me a lot. I do guided meditations through the Calm app. Um, you can also use something like Headspace, and that really helps me learn when things are kind of tumbling, and it also helps me quiet my mind. I find it to be very, very useful. But notes are the number one thing. I use a planner. I've used a planner since I was a kid. I need something where I'm writing down what I'm doing every day, and I have tried to do it digitally. It is not the same for me. I connect best in that way with physically writing. I currently use the full focus planner, but I have used a variety of others. Try them. Find the ones that works for you. Get pens that you enjoy writing with and try to just keep track. And I list things out. I carry things to the next day and I write everything down because I do forget I do lose track of time. <laughs> I very much lose track of time. I set timers too for things. So if I know that I need to like stop working because I have a call or I need to log off of something, even a live call or a live stream, I will set timers for myself so that I'm like, okay, it's time to, it's time to stop. I need to shift gears. And that really helps setting timers on my phone. Young Fox over on YouTube asked, how the heck do you keep up with everything from your career, being a mom and wife, YouTube channel, podcast with your ADHD? I'm ADHD mixed with dyslexia. And since graduating this past May, I've been struggling with keeping up with everything from being a parent partner and working all while trying to study and passing my national certification for my career. A lot of people say the test is like a lawyer passing the bar. And I feel like I'm a library book uh, that's been checked out from school, yet I find it so much harder to juggle everything. Um, how do you 
keep your brain on track and overall find the energy ability to do everything that you do. I know I don't see everything in your life through the screen, but you genuinely seem happy and not stressed out over all of the things on your plate. P.S. I hate reading aloud as well. And I know everyone's ADHD isn't exactly the same, but I literally forced myself out today of bed to get my medications in order and some what functioning adult stuff. Young Fox, I absolutely hear you. There are times that it's easier. There are times that it's harder. I always try to share both the, you know, the celebrations and the struggles. And the COVID has been a whole struggle. Having control over my work has been a very big part of me being happier and more settled. I also had to get really comfortable with just letting shit go. And it is hard. <laughs> I was much, much grumpier when my kids were younger and I was still trying to do absolutely everything. Cause you know what? You can't do everything. And I'm like, okay, well, laundry's not going to get done every single day or meals aren't going to get cooked every single day, or I'm not going to load the dishwasher the way I like it to be done. My husband's going to do it. And if you put knives sticking up, then he just does, even though that's not the right way to do it. Like clearly empirically the wrong way to do it. Like you never put the tines and the knives up, but whatever, I'm just going to let it be. <laughs> and I had to learn to let stuff go because you can only do so much and knowing your own energy and when you work best helps. I record the podcast at night because that works for me. I chose the times that I get to do my live streams with YouTube because it works for me. I've gotten to really modify my life and that works for me. Not everyone has the ability to make that choice. I am very fortunate to be able to mold my life around me. And my husband also understands and we talk a lot about it. And as my kids are growing and getting older and having their own journeys with ADHD, I'm getting to be like, oh, here's what worked for me. Maybe that doesn't work for them because everyone is different. And having my husband understand me, even though he doesn't always remember, <laughs> he's like, you said you'd be ready in five minutes. I'm like, what? It hasn't been? He's like, no, it's been 20. I'm like, really? <laughs> it really has? I forgot to set my timer. <laughs> So I have no idea how much time has passed. I have literally no concept of time. How long does it take you to drive to Starbucks? I don't know. I have no, I need to set a timer. I have literally no concept of time, which is probably why I do 17 wrap-ups on any given YouTube video, but I digress. I had to learn myself and then I had to decide what I could let go. And my core values are really being able to be present when I'm present. And so I try to not multitask, which for somebody who is ADHD like me, sometimes not multitasking is really hard and takes focus. And then I decide what can be let go of. And every, every season of life is different. So studying for an exam when kids are little is going to be different than as kids get older and are more self-sufficient and get even older still. It's just, it's figuring out where you are in the season that you're in and making it work for you. And that's literally the best I can give you. But it's still, there are days that are still a struggle for sure, for sure. Y'all asked me a ton of questions about Tennessee, <laughs> like a ton of questions about Tennessee. Um, I'm an happy IG asked, curious how you like Tennessee after moving from California. Amy Norton on IG asked, what made you move to Tennessee? Um, 
Lady Septimus asked, how hard was it to move states? Seems logistically impossible thinking about moving myself. Wonderlust asked, how do you like living in Tennessee? Pros and cons. Shay Rex or Shay Rocks. Shay Rocks. <laughs> What's your favorite part of living in Tennessee? SJ Queen 92 asked, why Franklin, Tennessee? Jillian Kajer asked, what made you pick Tennessee versus somewhere else? And Lori Ship said, what do you like about living in the Midwest versus the West Coast? And I still am not clear if Tennessee's Midwest or South or what, but we'll go with it. <laughs> I'm undecided on exactly where it fits. I think some Tennesseans might be as well. I have two podcast episodes that I'm going to link that are all about our decision to move to Tennessee, how we decided to move to Tennessee, why we decided to move to Tennessee, and what that was like. I love it. My kids love it. Yes, we miss people from home. Yes, I miss Kura, which was one of my favorite restaurants. It is a sushi restaurant. I love it. I miss it. I miss being able to just pick up lunch um, with my best friends and just get to get that closeness. But more and more people are moving out of California. So that nexus of, of people was disintegrating as it was. The quality of life was a very big decision for us. The change in cost of living was a big decision for us. The earthquake anxiety was a decision for me. I don't think it stressed my husband out as much. It stressed me out all the time. I know tornadoes are a thing. I get it. There's sirens. I just, I, I don't know. I was, I was over earthquakes. I was willing to make the choice for other, other types of weather. I love having dynamic seasons again and a feeling of seasonality. And it's just, it's really a pleasant change. I like the one lane country roads and the fact that there's less people. It's been lovely. So was it hard to move states? Yes, but it wasn't insurmountable. We gave ourselves a lot of time and I made a lot of lists and we just did it. We also sold a ton of shit before we left to move as little as possible. I would have sold more. In hindsight, I would have sold way more stuff, like way more stuff. Just because houses are different, some of the stuff, in, some of our furniture is actually too short for how high the ceilings are in this house and things like that. I'm like, damn it, we shouldn't have moved it. Oh, and we moved our our washer dryer because we really do love them. And I, it felt wasteful to sell them and buy a new one. They work perfectly well. Yeah, they work perfectly well, except in California, all the dryers run on natural gas. <laughs> not super common in Tennessee. Most dryers are electric. <laughs> so we got here and we couldn't hook our dryer up and we're like, we probably should have researched that. But also we saw our house as it was being constructed over FaceTime. We never actually set foot in it before we moved. I mean, it wasn't done being built yet, but we had not driven through our neighborhood that we bought a house in before we moved. So there were just a few things that we didn't know but it's worked out brilliantly and I love it. My kids love it. My husband loves it. We've had a little bit of snow. We have some frosty mornings. It's, we have a fireplace that's very cozy. The quality of life has been, has been such a nice change. And if you want even more details about that, there are two, two episodes of Get Legit Launch It that cover it. I feel like I've been talking forever, but there are still more questions and we're going to do a speed round of questions. <laughs> First, I got multiple questions about Mando. If you have not watched Mando yet, look, it came out on Friday. I question your dedication. Just fast forward 30 seconds. Um, I think it's 
Fierce Chucked Portraits on IG and Victoria on YouTube. Fierce asked, did you cry when you saw Luke at the end of Mando? I cried like a baby. And then Victoria said, without spoilers, what did you think of the Mandalorian finale? Look, I fucking love the Mandalorian so much. I love the Mandalorian so much. I cried the entire end (laughs) of the finale, cried the whole end of the finale. I loved the end credit scene. I loved everything about this show. I cannot wait to go back and watch through it again. I want there to be more Mando immediately. It's so beautifully done. And yes, I cried the whole end of it. I cried the whole end of it. And I loved it. I loved the way that this show tied in. And if you, there will be no more spoilers. So if you fast forwarded 30 seconds and now we're here, you're good. You're good. I loved the way this show tied in so many parts of the Star Wars world. And that's something that had been missing, in my opinion, from the main series franchises. The tying in of the stories, but also the tying in of Clone Wars, of Rebels. It's just, it's so nice to see these characters at a different time period, to see the galaxy dealing with the Death Stars and what the galaxy looks like at the fall of the empire before we see the rise of the first order. I just, I love it so much. (laughs) I love Mando. I hope there are more Star Wars stories like this that fill in those gaps of times. Yes, I know a lot of the books do that. Yes, some of those have been decanonized. I could do a whole episode on Star Wars. I will not bore all of you that are like, where's the legal commentary in this? But I love I love the way it was done, and I hope more stories are done like this. It also was so perfect for 2020 to have Mando, because, I mean, none of us are going to the movies this year, right? Has anybody been in a movie theater? I have not been in a movie theater, I don't think, all of 2020. I don't think we went to the movies in January or February, and then in March, everything stopped. Like, I don't think we've set foot in a movie theater in 2020. And honestly, it's going to be a while before I want to go back. Can we just stream that shit? I'll pay. I'll pay the 30 bucks or whatever to just stream it at my at my house and make popcorn or get popcorn from Popcorn World. Lonards has a coupon. It's, it's down below. I just, I shout it out because I love it so much. Speed round, speed round. That was not very speedy, Emily. All right. T-Pain Lover Forever on Instagram asked, do you have a real or fake Christmas tree? Happy holidays. We have fake Christmas trees and we have two I've been told by Deco Exchange that I need at least four. <laughs> Thank you, Damon and Parker. I have two trees. I love them. Max17833 on Instagram said, Team Valor Instinct Mystic or Harmony? Mystic. All the way mystic. Go mystic. <laughs> Mike. Hi, Mike. Asked, what was my favorite wedding gift that Brian and I received? Yeah, it was, it was a it was a doormat, Mike. <laughs> And that is a that is a very long running inside joke and a story I will tell another day. But in all seriousness, um, we still have a lot of our wedding gifts that we still use, and I kind of love that as we look back and are like, oh, these towels are looking kind of old. It's like, oh yeah, we've been married eighteen years. <laughs> so using the things that we got for our wedding still bring us joy because it's still like, oh, it's made the journey. Um, Val on Instagram. I think it's Chacon asked top five bands, favorite song at the moment. Oh, top five bands. Okay. Well, Dave Matthews band is hands down my favorite, favorite. I also love the offspring and Metallica 
those are in the top three. I love everything that Vitamin String Quartet does. Does that count as a band? I hope so. (laughs) And lately, I've been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift. I have. The more I've covered of her legal stuff, the more I've enjoyed her as an artist too. And I have also found myself listening to more Dolly Parton. I don't know. It might be in the water in Tennessee. Tennesseans, let me know. I think that happens when you move here. I don't know. (laughs) But my definitely my top three, it's hard. Also Stunt Up a Pilots, also Bad Religion. But like my top three, probably most listened to are going to be Dave Matthews Band, The Offspring, Metallica. (laughs) I know that is a big, a big reach. I also love DMX, but you got to be in a mood. DMX is a, DMX is its own vibe. I could talk about music forever. This is supposed to be a speed round. Emily, get to it. Apicino on Instagram asked, when will your book be available? I don't know. It's not written yet, but there are ideas. (laughs) I will be doing that. Um, Yamst, I don't know how this question got into my speed round stuff, but it is advice for those struggling with anxiety. Know that you are not alone. Find somebody that you trust that can help you with that because it's different for everyone. I love my life coach, Valerie Friedlander. Life coaching is also not for everyone. Sometimes it's therapy. Either way, find someone to talk to. There are so many therapies on your phone now, the talk space and things like that. It is very accessible to start to reach out to get some coping mechanisms. Also know that we are living in very, very overwhelming times right now. So I think everyone is struggling with some level of anxiety. I don't know anyone, you know, even people who run normally not anxious, I don't know anyone who's not having anxiety over like things that are just manifesting like, oh my God, we're going to not have toilet paper again. Or I don't know why all of a sudden everything is stressing me out, but I don't want to see people like people are stressing me out. Being out in the out is stressing me out. Um, Being in my house all the time is stressing me out. There is a lot of stuff going on right now. Give yourself some grace. Find someone to talk to. It'll be good. Daddy Spino on IG asked, best advice for someone starting over with themselves. I have a whole TED Talk about that. (laughs) Plug for my TED Talk. It'll be linked down below. It's called The Three Words. It's how I helped figure out who I was and how I wanted to show up in the world. And I think finding out how you want to be in the world is the best thing you can do for yourself. How do you want to be and go from there? Kate Compton over on YouTube said, I'm a chef and I'm always interested in knowing if people cook, et cetera. So Emily, I'd love to know if you cook, are you good at it? And what's your favorite dish? I do cook. I don't think I'm great at it. (laughs) (laughs) cooking does kind of stress me out sometimes because I feel like I'm going to do something wrong. My family sticks to a very basic like protein, carb, vegetable type of a thing. I love making steak in the sous vide and then searing it with butter. That is probably one of my favorite things. We make really good baked broccoli and Brussels sprouts and my kids love some type of rice or potatoes. We are very basic over here, but those are some of my favorite dishes. I miss like favorite dish to go get would be definitely sushi. But my husband and I also tend to lean towards steakhouses when we go out to eat. We love a good cut of steak. And there are so many local farms near where we live. It's been really, really fun. I also do a good pork tenderloin. I also enjoy making cookies when I am in the mood 
which is why I'm not a great baker because I have to be like, it's a vibe to get into the baking vibe, but I enjoy it. Baking comes with more instructions. I feel like cooking becomes more like intuitive and creative. And I'm, I'm not that when it comes to cooking, baking feels like here's instructions. You can't fuck it up too bad. Like just follow instructions. Gloria asked on YouTube, um, when your back went bad and you had surgery, did you ever feel helpless or hopeless or were you always optimistic? How do you feel seeing uh, your YouTube count going up? I know it makes me really happy because you deserve it. Well, thank you. She also said, I love your hair. What made you let it grow out naturally? Do you use Botox or fillers because your skin is flawless and you have no wrinkles? I definitely have wrinkles. (laughs) What's your skincare routine? Side note, your laugh brings me so much joy. Oh, Gloria, thank you so much. I was not always optimistic with my back. I often was frustrated. There were definitely times where I felt very overwhelmed, especially when I couldn't get out of bed before my spinal fusion. I was very, very overwhelmed and I felt very frustrated and trapped, but it also, those feelings and overcoming those feelings led me down a different path. And I'm so thankful for that other path. Watching YouTube grow means that we have more law nerds to have these conversations with to really help demystify the law that governs our lives. And that mission makes me so happy. So I, you know, the more, the more friends who are having good conversations, the more we will change the conversations that are happening everywhere on social media and in our homes. And I love it. Thank you with my hair. Um, what made me let the gray grow out? I dug it and I didn't want to keep trying to cover it. And then it, when I started letting it grow, it kind of came in in stripes and I was like, we're cool. We're rocking it. And it, it really doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And no shade to anyone who wants to grow their gray, cover their gray, your hair, you do you. And I think for me, having my hair uncolored in this way feels really good. That doesn't feel good for everybody. But I also think that it should be okay to have your hair be natural in the way that it feels good for you. And not seeing hair, you know, particularly my natural hair is going gray in racing stripes. And I do see comments of, you know, you'd look younger if you dyed your hair. You'd look this if you dyed your hair. And I know that women with curlier hair or more natural hair also get those, you know, it's more professional if your hair is like this or if your hair is like this. Look, it's hair, people. Let's let's stop getting twisted up about hair. Let people have beautiful natural hair. Let people wear their hair how they want to wear their hair. It It's not to be judged. It's just hair. Let everyone do what they want to do with their hair. And if that means dyeing your hair, dye it. If that means straightening your hair, straighten it. If it means being natural with your hair, do it. I just, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be this big of a thing, but it is. And I know that it is. I wish it weren't. <laughs> and as for Botox and fillers, I don't, um, not that I'm to say that I won't, but at this point I don't. And I, I wash my face. <laughs> I definitely take care of it and um, love the products that I use, but I do definitely have wrinkles. There are wrinkles. <laughs> there are under eye bags. I I love it. And Belle Me Mori, um, aka Kristen on YouTube, asked about my skincare routine. I will do a skincare routine video. I have picked a, you know, a cleanser I like, a toner I like, a serum I like. I love a Korean beauty kind of routine and um that's kind of what I follow. I don't do a mask every night, but I love them. Skincare is one of my favorite things. I, I am not skilled enough to be good at makeup, but I feel like skincare, I can't mess up. So I love it. Um, hey, it's Jay on YouTube asked, 
When and why did you decide to have kids? At the time, did you feel like you were having to pick between career and motherhood? Oh, I I was ready-ish to have kids. Um, I had my oldest right at 30, and it felt like, okay, we're having, we're doing this. <laughs> I'm 30, I'm an adult, we're doing this. And I was blessed to work with lots and lots of women in the DA's office, lots of women who were mothers who were like, you can do this. It's it's going to be good. And that's not to say it wasn't hard. There were definitely times where I felt like I was picking, especially when my health was difficult with my second, I definitely felt like I was picking. But when it came to picking, I had to pick my health and the health of my pregnancy. And that was hard too. And it's embarrassing that it was hard. Like, it feels like it shouldn't be hard, but it's like this choice, this choice is going to stick with me. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I was able to um, stand in the choices that I made, that I had a job where I could have health issues and not get terminated because I didn't. I was able to take the leaves I needed to take to get healthy. And I adore my kids. There are still times where there's a push-pull between my youngest saying, mom, play Fortnite with me, and me saying, I have to record a video or I'm researching. And I think that's a push-pull that parents have. Sometimes I see that much more for moms. And there's still always a pick between work time and family time. And I'm still figuring out what that um, what that balance looks like, and not really balance, but what that integration looks like, because my work time is non-traditional. And so it flexes. And sometimes that can muddy the waters for my kids. They're like, are you working? Are you not working? What are we doing? Is work you watching YouTube videos right now? Like, is that work? Are we really working? <laughs> Versus when you like leave the house when that was a thing and go to work. It's kind of like, oh, mom's at work. Oh, now mom's back. When you work at home, it becomes a much more fluid thing. Oh, anyway, yeah, that's, I hope that answered that question. Lisa on YouTube asked, what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? And have you always been a tech junkie? I have been a tech geek for as long as I can remember. And what do I love to do outside of work? Other than just hang out with my family, I love playing video games. I also love archery. And the archery has taken a little bit of an un, unhappy backseat uh, with COVID, but it's in the new year, something my son and I are going to be getting back to at a location here once we can do that. I really enjoy it. And, and I, yeah, those are the, those are the two, <laughs> those are the two big ones. And then Joe mama nine five zero seven three on Instagram asked ketchup or mayo with fries. Neither Joe mama ranch ranch from Chick-fil-A all the ranch. We need more ranch, <laughs> more ranch. <laughs> it's always been ranch. It will always be ranch. <laughs> back to being like a junior high school student at islands with my friends saying, no, 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 we need more ranch. No more ranch, more ranch. (laughs) Always, always ranch with fries. And then mermaid fairy princess asked, what is my favorite mythical creature? I don't know if I can pick, like, how do you pick between like fairies and Pokemon and do Pokemon count as mythical creatures? I think there's mythical Pokemon. So I'm going to go with yes. Between, like, is Doctor Who a mythical creature? Because I feel like he is too. But how do you pick between like mermaids and unicorns and fairies? I don't know how to pick. I'm all for all. (laughs) 
<laughs> but if I had to go an absolute favorite, absolute favorite, absolute favorite. Can it be Pokemon? Can Pokemon be my favorite mythical creatures? No, because those would be your favorite Pokemon. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like fairies are the cheekiest and the most, the the most relatable, except like the mermaids in Peter Pan are totally like fairy sass cheeky, but other mermaids are not represented as such. Uh, I don't know how to pick. I don't know how to pick mermaid fairy princess. I don't know how to pick my favorite mythical creature. I also love unicorns, particularly my sassy rainbow unicorn that is in my, in my background. I love her. So maybe unicorns, unicorns, unicorns might be my favorite. It's a hard, that is a hard question of all the questions. This is a very hard question because <laughs> I generally love all the things, but I think we're going to have to go with unicorns. If we have to pick just an ultimate one, I'm going to also have to ask my kids that question because I want to know you guys, this has been a very, very long episode. And I appreciate all of the questions and you taking time to ask questions and thoughtful questions and connecting with me in this way. I very much appreciate you. I love this Law Nerd community so much. I hope this episode finds you well. It is the holidays. It is a weird holidays for us too. However you are celebrating, I hope that this finds you well, brought a laugh, <laughs> brought a conversation. And because we are still in this pandemic, we're going to pandemic sign off all of 2020. I feel like this sign off is going to take us well into 2021. And that kind of makes me sad, but I feel like we're here for it. So it's just, it is what it is. So raise whatever you have, a glass, a fist, a flogging, <laughs> some spotchka, whatever it is, raise it. And let's, let's just, let's sign this one off. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well, and may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being here with me. And I can't wait to see you in the next one. Bye. Thanks for sticking around for today's episode. For episodes like this and conversations like this, come join us in the Facebook community. The Get Legit community is where we discuss the episodes, where I answer your questions, and we have an opportunity to take a deeper dive in a respectful, conversational environment. The Get Legit community is on Facebook. There's a link down below, or you can go to getlegitlive.com. I'll see you on the inside. <laughs>